for a while, there was a man that was always stood at the stairway leading up to the house of commons. In fact, there was a man there for three generations that was always standing at the stairway leading to the house of commons. They never really knew what they did. It was just his job to stand there because his father stood there and their father stood there and being in the house of commons in england tradition is everything and so well i get up i go to my work little son asks him what do you do i stand there i uphold tradition in the house of commons very important place a role of government in our our kingdom and so it was asked finally what is the role of this person you know we're paying them stand here and so they did a, a little research and they found that his grandfather was employed into the house of commons because the railways to the stairway was just painted and they needed someone to warn everybody of the wet paint and so when the paint stood dry no one thought to say to this person your job's over Can you imagine that? Your job was to stand there. I always felt sorry for that middle generation who spent his whole life doing nothing but upholding the very important tradition. You know, that's the stuff nightmares are made of for me personally. To, to, To spin my wheels, take my life, and do nothing, do nothing with it. It is important for us to look beyond tradition and know why we do what we do. Uh, It's important as a church, if we get to the point as a church where we're doing things to maintain what had been done, we're dead. Do you realize that? If that's our focus, to maintain something, We've lost it. We've lost it. That's what, that's what organizations do, some of them. That's not what organisms do. That's not what a body does. We're to make sure that we're fulfilling a purpose, and not just any purpose, but the greatest purpose of our life. What is the priority of our life? This is the, the beginning of week 12, the last week of our Seeking Him study. And uh, I pray the Lord's challenged you through it, uh, taught you many things through it, but I hope that you get, if you you get nothing else out of this 12 weeks, uh, but this, I would count it as successful, that the heartbeat of why we exist as a church body and as individuals is to seek God. If you know that, then this is successful. But even better if you do it, if you do it. I can live with the fact that you know it and you don't do it because I know God will be your judge. But it's my job to make sure you know it, (laughs) okay? And so now that knowing it is between you and God to do it. And so uh, we've, we've talked about different issues and I hope you understand that as a church that everything of what we do underneath it, the heart of it needs to be, are we seeking God? So when we care about whether or not you attend a small group, 
It's because we want you to be seeking God. When you're in youth ministry, and whether or not you're sitting in a class in youth ministry or you're out doing who knows what, we want you to be seeking God underneath it. When we're going to a school and as a church working out at Love Out Loud and the, and the Hodge Road, we want you to be seeking God. When you're in the choir or when you're in the children's choir or the youth, uh, the worship, uh, didn't y'all enjoy that the other Sunday? I, I did. I, I was blessed by that, of what the youth were doing. Whether All these areas, whether it's the handbells, whether it's signing uh, the, uh, the, the joy class, the signs, help me out here. Thank you, joyful hands. <laughs> whether it's the joyful hands, underneath it all is, am I seeking him? We don't want you to just be standing at a stairway wondering what you're doing. Okay? I want to take you to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to look at verse 38, looking at 38 through 42. It's the familiar passage of Mary and Martha serving Jesus. Mary and Martha. Because this passage speaks to it so well as to separating the good from the best and doing it on a daily basis, um, it, it offers up to us life in this passage. So this is what life is about. It, it is to have a couple of doors in front of it, of one you could choose from. If, if somehow <coughs> I could say that behind this door, if, we, if you went behind this door, you'd find a new car, or keys to a new home, or a million dollars. Behind that door, just all you got to do is go back there and, and, and get, get that. Um, would I have to remind you of that later on in the service? You know, <laughs> you say, all right, Pastor, you, know, you can shut things down, you know, we're, we'll go on. If I would say behind this door is all the wisdom that you need for your life. Everything you know about living a godly life. Behind this door is the source to find the strength to face every situation that you're, account, you're going to encounter for the rest of your life. Every provision you need to, to take care of your needs. Not your wants, but you'll be taken care of. That behind this door is the source of love. That with it, you will know love, experience love, but also you will find the love to give to those around you. To be able to consistently forgive. To be able to love the unlovable people around you. To graciously serve others. Would you be interested and curious which door would you go to? Because I'm not going to let you do both. You got to do one or the other. We only have time for one. Which one would you choose? Well, you know, as a pastor, I would hope that you would choose the door for everything you need for your life spiritually. But it, it depends on what your God is, really. It depends on what your God is. If your God is the God Jesus Christ, this is going to be the appeal of your heart. If it's, if it's anything other than God of Jesus Christ, this is going to be a, a large appeal to you. But I, I like to share with you, what is the door? How do you open up that door? How do you open up the door for intimacy with the Lord? How do you open up the door with, with wisdom, knowledge, love, the provision for what you need in your life? How is it found? Well, Jesus hits it right here in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. And it is a relationship with Christ. It is intimacy with Christ. When I say intimacy, 
And what I mean by it is that you're sharing your life with Christ. You open up your life to Him and you're seeking Him in the midst of it. So the question is, how do we open that door? Uh, I want to just bring this passage out and just share with you three observations tied to intimacy with the Lord here. And uh, just in way of, of contrast or, or context, Luke chapter 10, it's important. In fact, I've been tempted just to read the verses before this, especially verses 25 leading up to it. Uh, 25, uh, that front part is a, an interaction with the lawyer. I think what you've got here in verses 25 through 37 is a, uh, and you compare that story with what you find in 38 and 42, is a contrast of stories, but also a complementing of stories that go hand in hand. Uh, and, and the first part, verse 25, you've got a lawyer coming forward, and the lawyer stood up, all right, stood up. Uh, normally, this is something, an honorable thing to do when you're talking to someone, but he's not doing this to be so honorable as much as it is to test Jesus Christ. And so he's standing up to test Jesus Christ when you contrast that with Mary who is sitting down listening to Jesus Christ, all right? And so you've got this contrast going on, but also a great compliment and that this, this lawyer that comes up to Jesus says, I'm going to, I'm going to, I've got a test for you. What do I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, what, you know, what, what does the law say? And verse 27, Jesus answered, well, you shall love your Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You're to seek God. <laughs> You're to seek God with every bit of how God's made you. With your mind, with your strength, with your emotion. He says, if you don't do anything else in life, do that. And then the second thing, love your neighbor as yourself. And so verse 20, 28, 29, uh, he's asking, well, who's the neighbor? Who is that one I'm supposed to love this way? And so verses 30, all the way through verse 37, is the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's one way I would summarize the story of the Good Samaritan. Love out loud. <laughs> love out loud. Take the love that you have for God, and you apply it to people that are unlovable. Uh, the, the, the hero of the story, of course, is, is God working through Samaritan. The Samaritan was the despised, hated race that was just a few miles away from them. Uh, but yet, this is the one who takes care of the Jew, who is uh, helping them, serving them. He is loving them. All right? And Jesus is saying, understand that. Put this two together. That loving God means that you're going to love other people. And so this is not just a duty thing that we do. We come to verse 38 and we, and we fill it out. We fill out the story. As a compliment, what Jesus is teaching is, now notice Mary. Notice Martha. Check out how Mary is loving God. How Mary is loving Jesus Christ. And this is going to be the heartbeat for how we do the Good Samaritan story. All right? So what, the point of this is, is that as we get to the love out loud work, the Hodge Road, what we'll be doing with Barkley Downs, hopefully this summer what we'll be doing with Mingo Creek. As, as we do these, these projects, if you don't have verse 38 and 42 as the heart of it, you're missing out. You're not operating as a church. The key is seeking Him. And that's one of the reasons why seeking Him is thrust right in the middle of this love out loud. It's because if you're not seeking Him... You're not setting yourself apart toward Christ in your work. Okay? And so, let's just do this, verse 38, and, and 
make these observations as we go. Let's stand as we read verse 38, going through verse 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. You may be seated. This is a great passage. This is one that can fuel your meditations for weeks to come. I I hope you you read it and, and go back to this often. First observation I would make about Mary and Martha is that intimacy is often lost through the lure of many good things. This is what we see going on here with with Martha. Uh, In fact, the things that Martha was doing were scripturally mandated later on. Martha is opening up her home. She's being hospitable, making Jesus at home. She's serving him. I mean, really, what could be wrong with that? Washing the dishes, the table, putting, uh, cooking lamb or whatever they're cooking, uh, putting it out for Jesus. It seems like really godly things to do, doesn't it? And there's no question that these are, are not good things. These are good things. But... As often been said, the enemy of the best is often the good. And it's hard to see sometimes what is the best thing to do because we're doing so many good things. And so Martha was distracted with her, notice verse 40, with much serving. That word distracted literally means to be drawn away. She was drawn away not by terrible things. She was drawn away by things that were good things, not sinful things, bad things. And what we can find is that our life can be so crowded that we miss out on the great thing of being intimate with Christ, of spending time with Him, because it can be crowded out by the busyness of life. Socrates was the one who said that beware the barrenness of a busy life. <clears throat> now that's a word we need to hear in America, is it not? Yeah, hey, hey, how you doing? You know, it used to be good was the answer. I'm doing fine. You know what the more common answer seems to be now? How's life? Everybody, I'm busy. Because if I'm not busy, then I'm not valuable. Because if I'm not busy, then I'm not good. If I'm not busy, I'm not contributing. If I'm not busy, I'm not important. Isn't it amazing how we equate and we almost use it as synonyms. An important person is a busy person. Where do we get that idea? I, I don't think it certainly comes from this passage. And one of the things that we run at risk is having a barren life. A life that's not being built in intimacy with Christ. 
And so we can get so busy doing the work of the Lord that we forget the Lord of the work. We can get so busy doing the spring fling that we can forget the Lord of spring. <laughs> we, we can forget that. We can get so busy doing love out loud that we forget the Lord of love who is love. We can get so busy teaching our small groups discipleship that we forget the discipler in, in Christ. We can get so busy in singing that we forget to whom we're singing to. We can get so busy studying and preaching that we forget the one we're proclaiming. And so this is a tendency in our life. A first grader was wondering why her father brought home a briefcase full of work every evening. So her mother exclaimed, well, daddy has so much to do that he can't finish it all in the office. <coughs> well, then the child asked, just in her own child's way, why don't they put him in a slower group? You know, uh, that's, a, that's probably a fair question. Why don't we go into a smaller group? And maybe that's something that we need to choose ourselves to do. Elizabeth Elliot was the one who said, there's always time, there's always time to do the will of God. What do you think about this statement? There's always time to do the will of God. Would God give you something that you don't have time to do? No. No, he, he wants you to walk with God. He wants you to live with Him. We give ourselves stuff that's not the will of God. And we give ourselves stuff that we have no time to do. So, let's take a little distraction test. Notice Martha. How did Jesus know that she was distracted. Or maybe let's look at verse 41. Notice what the Lord says about her. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. Um, so let me ask you, are you worried? Are you frustrated? If you're worried, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, that is a direct symptom of someone who doesn't believe there's a God who takes care of things. You understand that? There is, there's nothing to be proud of in being a warrior. Alright? It is a sign that you're not doing the main thing and that your life is not focused on the priority of intimacy with God. Are you frustrated? It shows that you've lost perspective when you're frustrated in life. Are you angry? Verse, notice verse 40. Martha was attracted with much serving and she went to him and said, Now, do you hear this tone? Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. It didn't sound like that, did it? Y'all know what that sounds like. You've probably said this, haven't you? You've thought this, haven't you? Let me, let me see if I can do it. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Maybe, does that communicate it a little bit better? All right. This isn't the voice of peace. All right. Ease. This is an angry voice. Who is she angry at? Well, she's obviously angry at her sister, Mary. That may not be unusual. Pretty normal. Be angry at your sister. But then, who else is she angry at? Jesus. Because, after all, Jesus is in charge, right? 
Jesus is the one that is the Lord. Jesus is the one who's calling the shots. Jesus is the one that says, hey, I can bring someone over to help you. Jesus is the one who's in authority. So Jesus is the one who she's complaining to. She's angry at Jesus. Jesus, this isn't fair. Obviously, I've got all the work and you act like you don't care. I need help. And here this woman is just sitting here, not doing a thing. Really, this isn't fair. And so she's angry. You know what you say when you're angry? You're saying that you're in control and you're frustrated because you're not in control. Understand, think back. When you've been angry in your life, more often than not, it's because you want to be in control and something's going on that you're not in control of and it just, all you can do is just get angry because you can't do anything. And you thought, well, maybe if I just shout, yell, or do a silent fit or whatever it may be, that it will manipulate the people into falling in line with what you want. So Martha is thinking, you know, maybe I need to be the one directing this little meeting here instead of Jesus. Because Jesus is obviously not doing according to me. And so, verse 40, not only do you hear the voice of anger, but the voice of whining. Whining. Whining shows you've lost humility and gratitude and you're wallowing in self-pity. Look at poor I need your attention. I need your attention. It's about me. Is there a whining going on in your life? Maybe you're not verbally whining like that, but in your head you are. Okay? Or maybe this angry, is there frustration, is there worry? These are all symptoms that Jesus is bringing out in this story of someone who's distracted, who's lost her focus. Her lost her focus. She's lost the intimacy. Not by bad things, but by good things. So, I mean, think about it. Hospitality, it's about making this person feel at home. But it's not also that, is it? It's also, look how I made Jesus feel at home. That Jesus would walk away thinking, man, did you see that spread? That was such a nice spread. Those grapes were delicious. And she filled up my, my juice glass every time. It was, it, she wanted to impress Jesus. Often we do that, isn't it? A lot of times hospitality isn't about them, it's about us. That's why we don't want folks coming over at certain times, because then it will reflect poorly on us. And so, let me ask you, how successful do you think we can be at impressing Jesus Christ? Really? Jesus is, I've never seen a spread like that. No. Give up impressing Jesus. Let me just share with you about this love out loud. Now, I've challenged us to say we need to do it well. We need to do it good. But we're not doing this to impress Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't going to say, look at what they did. Everything was done just right. There was no miscommunication. Every detail was done. Oh, I'm so proud of green pie. That's not the motivation here. Why do we want to do it well? We want to do it well because we are showing that Jesus is important to us and that we will reflect Jesus to them, but we also want to pave the way for future partnership and relationship with people that are in this school who would never go here to hear about Christ. But they'll let us come there 
to tell them about Christ. It's only 0.7 miles away, but it is a world away to come here than it is to go to that school. And so it is about building credibility with this people that lets us talk with them about how Jesus accepts us as we are because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to change us to be like him. Do you understand this a little bit? That we're not trying to impress Christ. Intimacy can be drawn away, can be distracted by good things. Bahadrid Elementary could be a curse if we're not doing what Mary is doing. All right, so let's go on here. I want to bring out another observation. Intimacy is the sole portal to what matters and last. You know what kind of caught my eye here? I've heard this many times, but in verse 42, it's, it's just like this stood out to me for the very first time. But one thing is necessary. Notice it's singular. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You know what he's implying? Martha, all that you're frustrated with is going to be taken away with. All that you're just getting all worked up about, it won't matter. How many of you have done a dinner and you realize that? <laughs> you know, we did all this work, spent a good portion of the day, maybe the next uh, previous day, and it's inhaled in like 10 minutes. And all you got is this mess that's left behind. So you clean up the dishes and you do that, and you do all the table, and you, you come up the next morning and after the kids have been up there in the morning, and it's, it's a mess again. Ah! It causes women and men to go insane. Jesus is saying, hey, yeah, you're doing this, but that's not going to last. That's not going to last. One time I was working on my sermons and in the age of the computer where everything's greater and faster. and I saw with my own eyes Six months of sermons disappear. I just, I couldn't cry because it just went past that, you know. I had to just go, I had to go indifferent because I couldn't bear the emotional pain. It was my own sheltering. Just six months of sermons just, they're never coming back. What can I do? I'm grasping figure. What do I do? They're gone. They're gone. You know what? There's going to be a day and time where all my sermons are gone. They're done away with. There's no more. What remains in my soul after that? What remains in my soul are those things that I studied and I took to my heart and I lived. I lived. And so it was a real gut check. Is what I do just mental exercises for the benefit of other people? If that's it, then I have nothing to show for it. What's your job? What's your job? You realize how it can go away and there's nothing that remains. So when I read this passage, it really struck home. This is a portion that will not be taken away from her. Martha, all frustrated, worked out, hair frazzled, and yet nothing to show for it. It'd all be taken away from her. Mary, calm, collected, sitting there listening, 
taking it in, absorbing it. She's chosen the good part, the necessary part that will not be taken away from her when she's worshiping Christ, when she's receiving it, when she's applying it, when she's hungry, when she's seeking Him, it will not be done away. Listen, listen, listen. As your day goes, I know you found it hard and difficult to do the Seeking Him book and think, you know what, this is asking questions I don't want to think about. I mean, I've got things to do. The pastor doesn't understand my life. I've got all kinds of stuff to do. I don't have time to sit down and read something like this. You're too busy. And you've chosen things that won't last. You have chosen things that will be taken from you. I mean, it's a few moments of listening and seeking a Savior. Of talking to God. You're not that important. These are all the rage, you know. My dad was talking about this, and all the staff wanted one. He had a great comment. He said, you're not that important. <laughs> that was a good word. That was a good word. Everything's so busy, you've got to write down, and, you know, we've got to know where we're at, and everybody's got to contact me, and, and I've got to contact everybody at, at 24 hours a day. And, and so if someone even contacts me, I have a little notifier that tells me, blinking, hey, oh, I've got to communicate, communicate, communicate. I'm not that important. But God is. Put this away somewhere. And just talk to God. The relationship is the portal to what matters and and lasts for life. That time with God. You know, the World Wide Web is an incredible thing, and you can have all kinds of knowledge to you, but you always go through one doors, and there's one portal that, that brings your computer into the World Wide Web. And, and so, too, there's all kinds of things available to us in Jesus Christ, in our relationship with God, but it comes through Jesus. Only those who choose to spend time with God, choose to talk to Him, choose to share their life, will have these things available to them. Sharper Image is a great story. You know, they've got all kinds of cool stuff in there, um, stuff that are totally useless. You know, but really neat. It's like, oh, you don't see this much of anywhere else, you know. I, I always think, well, you know, that's a great place to go for a guy. That guy has everything because there's always something sharper image that he doesn't have. Um, but the thing is, they don't last. They're, yes, it's unique, but it doesn't last. What you have in Jesus Christ are things utterly unique in relationship with him, but will last. Will last. So, Jesus Christ is huge because it gives you that which is eternal in its nature, life everlasting. It is through Christ that you have a relationship uh, with God. You can lose the applause of people. You can lose the relationships with people. But intimacy with Christ is an, is an ultimate, unconditional love. And that everything else that, that it will compel in comparison to. You have that relationship. It comes with Jesus Christ. What else do we have with Jesus Christ? Well, in a relationship with Him, you get reality. You understand reality. Circumstances can cloud your thinking. It can confuse you. People will confuse you. But when you have a time in talking with God, it gives you perspective on what's going on around in life. Let me, let me just bring to you Psalm 73 to your attention. Psalm 73, if you'll just turn there for a second. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great little psalm. Uh, you've got in the midst of it uh, confusion. Right right from the beginning. Verse um, Verse 2, he said, As for me, my feet had almost slipped. 
My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Have you ever been there? God, if you rule this world, then why is it the wicked make out and the good, the righteous, don't? He says, verse 4, because they don't, they don't have pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They don't have these aches because they can pay these surgeries. They can do the facelift. They can do all this stuff. They're not in trouble as, as others are. They can pay money to get out of problems. Verse 6, their pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. It's like they, they run over people to get more money and they don't care. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. Verse 9, they set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue struts through the earth. They don't give any consideration, acknowledgement of God. In verse 11, they live as if God doesn't exist. It says, how can God know? There's no knowledge of the Most High. I'm going to do whatever I want. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in an instant. What's the point of being humble before God? What's the point of seeking Him if this is how it works out? For all day long I've been stricken or rebuked every morning. If I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. You know what he's saying? I I don't understand the inequities of life, God. I don't understand how that works. But when I had a time with you, it gave me perspective. It helped me understand what's going on in life. That there is an eternal perspective. I tell you, if you don't live life with an eternal perspective, you have no wisdom. You don't know how to make decisions if you don't have the eternal perspective in life. So it helps you have reality. Do you know that having a relationship with God not only gives you that, that reality, it gives you the relationship, that intimacy with God, it gives you adventure, when you're following with Christ, he will take you to places and, and lead you through manners of living that you would never dare to dream before. There is an adventure that is involved in this. I don't think Peter and James and John ever sat around and said, you know what, I'm really bored. First of all, James didn't live that long after Jesus ascended. Peter and John were constantly on the edge, living life with an adventure. But listen, I want to bring out one more observation here. Intimacy always comes through an invitation and a choice. Notice verse 42. One thing, one thing, I bring out that idea, it's singular. For a believer, there's not many things, there's one thing. Do you have one thing in your life? One thing that shapes you, guides you, directs you? Jesus is saying, for the believer, there's one thing that is necessary. What is that one thing that you can do that makes your marriage more successful? What is that one thing that you can do that that helps you in your job and make you effective for what God's called you to do? What is that one thing you can do as a mother, as a father, as you're dealing with your kids that will help you gain sanity and live your life with your kids and teaching them? What is that one thing that can shape your mental life? What is that one thing that is the most productive thing that you can do? Jesus says, Mary's chosen it. It's to seek me. It's to seek me. Spend time with me. That one thing, and verse 42, Mary has chosen. 
that one thing, the good portion. We are in our state, every single one of us are in this state right now because we've chosen to be in the state. We are in a confused state, we're in a distracted state, uh, mainly because we've chosen it. Some, one of the things that I heard every once in a while um, throughout the last 12 weeks is that you know, seeking him is complicated. And I would say over and over again, no, it's not complicated. Seeking him is simply loving God. There's, not, there's nothing else to it. It's just that. You just love God more than anything else. And you know what complicates it? Our sin. Our sin is complicating because we think of various strategies of, of living life to make it look like we're seeking Him, but not seeking Him. And we will deceive ourselves over and over and over again. And the thing is about seeking Him is it confronts us and tells us, if you're going to seek God, this is what it looks like in this area of our life. And we think, well, I don't do these things. And, and I didn't realize this. And, and I thought I was seeking Him. And, and no, seeking Him is simple. Our sin is complicated. And so it's the thing that Mary has chosen. What comes down to it is that we either choose or we don't choose to seek God. The sad truth is that we are where we are because we've chosen to be where we are. We see over and over again, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary. John 7, verse 37 says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Revelation 22, 17, Let the one who is thirsty come to me. She chose to do that. How did she do it? Notice her posture. She was seated. Seating is, is a sense of humility. It's saying, I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm not going to go and, and make sure all the, the table is set. I'm going to spend my time first listening to you. And so it takes time to enter God's presence. It takes time to seek Him. It takes time every day. Every day. I'm not just saying, oh, well, you know, I set aside Sunday. Isn't that enough? No. If you want to seek God one day a week, you know, you chose that, but you've chosen some things that will be wasted. It is every day to seek Him, to have weekly times, to have retreats, to say, you know what, I just need to get away... To have an indicator in your mind to let, your, to let yourself know, you know what, my mind is too busy. I've got too much entertainment going on. Or I've got uh, too much busy things doing going on. I need to set aside time to get away from some of this stuff so I can seek God. Do you have a barometer like that in your life? Do you have some kind of bell, mental bell that goes off to let you know? A lot of times we don't because we don't have that goal and we don't know what it's like to seek Him, to spend that time with Him. So it's a posture that we take, but it's also action. She was listening to his words. She was paying attention, focused, concentrated on what Christ had to say. Are you giving great attention to what the Spirit of God is saying to you through his word? Simply, if you are not daily seeking him in his word, you're not seeking him. It's that simple. If you're not reading the word of God in your life, you're not seeking Him. If you're not praying and talking about what you read, you're not seeking Him. Seeking Him carries on in your everyday life to spend time daily with His Word. You know, um, there was a school in Paris, Texas that consolidated with another school. It just got too small and so they 
um, did away with their sports teams and let it go into the other team. And the and, uh, thing is that they had really great prep rallies. It did awesome jobs with prep rallies. And they thought, well, we don't want to do away with that. And so they continued having their prep rallies at the school. And they would meet, have this huge hoopla. And they had all this pep rally, but they had no team. I don't want our church to be known for a great pep rally. Look at, look at, look at all this. You know, I just feel good. I feel good when I come here. I feel good when I'm with others. But we have no team. We have the love out loud. We have the seeking him study. We have the men's ministry, the women's ministry, the small groups. We have the handbells. We have the choirs. We have the various things. But if we're not seeking him, we're just filling out tradition. Running around in circles without any heart. I pray that you seek him. I pray that I seek him. And we'll do it together. That when we get together, that we encourage one another to seek Him. Let's pray.